The testimony of the Christian should be that you are trusting and blessed. Trusting and blessed. Blessed. What on earth does that mean? What does that look like? What should I expect? Well, the answer you get might depend on who you ask. What is David talking about here when he speaks of one who is blessed? Let's begin by thinking about that this evening. Now, the word blessed, as it's used here, most simply translated, means happiness. But it's a happiness that is far greater and deeper than frivolity and joviality. It's more than simply feeling happy, although it can include that, but it's more than that. Our famous uh, Liverpudlian comedian Ken Dodd used to close his show singing about happiness. But it didn't take too long, probably, for all the fun and laughter to fade away. And for the realities of all of life's problems and worries to come flooding back. And no doubt those who left the theatres laughing and joking, sides aching. In no time at all, those strains of Ken Dodd's happiness song were fading away in their ears, in their minds and in their hearts. Blessed. Having a sense of joy and contentment within your soul that remains with you. Do you know what that is? To have a clear conscience and a lack of anxiety. To have a confidence that all will be well. Roll all of these things together into a single package and you're beginning to get to the crux of what this word blessed is talking about. A very substantial form of happiness which is found only in God. Now you'll hear some preachers today speak of being blessed as primarily being the accumulation of certain things, particularly things like wealth and enjoying good health and having success in the things that you turn your hand to. This, they say, is what it means to be blessed. This is the evidence of it that God has and is blessing you. It's interesting, isn't it? All the things that this godless world seeks and pursues, you can receive from God and should expect from God as a mark of his blessing, they say. Strange form of blessing, that. Now, to bless someone in the Bible can also mean to show them favour. God most certainly has shown us favour in the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about that in Ephesians 1. 
To bless someone can mean to speak favorably about them. But examples of when that directly results in the accumulation of personal wealth, they're very few in the Bible. There are some, but not many. They are isolated, they're not typical. As Christians, you know a great deal of God's favour towards you. But the Bible almost always confines this to those spiritual blessings relating to all that you have become and all that you possess before God in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we read that passage in the first chapter of Ephesians. That primarily is how the Bible speaks of blessing the new position that you enjoy before God as his forgiven child. The new creation that you have become as one who is born again. One of the most blessed men that we read about in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. Not because God did more for him than he did for others, but because Paul understood truly in the depth of his soul what it means to be blessed. Was he blessed in terms of an abundance of worldly goods, an ever-increasing bank balance? Not in the slightest. Was he blessed in that his life was just one long, smooth, trouble-free ride all the way to heaven? Exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. His body bore hundreds of scars from all the lashings and beatings he'd received. His head and his face would have had the bumps and scars from those stones that were thrown at him and the people left him thinking they had killed him. They aimed for the head, you know. That's how you died. But what a blessed man he was. Because despite all of that, we read Paul saying things like this. Philippians 2. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom... You shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. In Colossians 1, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. 1 Thessalonians 3, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. He's blessed. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. 
What thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face. And again to the Philippian church, I have learned in whatever state I am, whatever state, to be content. That's to be blessed. That's blessing that comes from God. And surely this is the outworking of being blessed that David was speaking about in Psalm 40. Blessed is that man, that woman. Here is one who is a true believer in the triune God of heaven, who knows the reality of having been raised to newness of life, newness of purpose, newness of faith, being seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's an old hymn that we sing from time to time. It has these words, In loving kindness Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim, and from the depths of sin and shame, through grace he lifted me. And then a little later on, this, this line, now, on a higher plane I dwell, and with my and in my soul I know it's well. And as the refrain of that great hymn goes, it is well. It is well with my soul. That's what it means to be blessed. It is this wellness of the soul that lies at the heart of being a blessed man or woman. Are you? How can you know this for yourself? How can you know this blessing? Well, you do it by making the Lord your trust. Making the Lord your trust I've been pondering long and hard this last week over that phrase. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. And you know, it struck me that that phrase carries far more weight than simply saying that you trust in the Lord. You make the Lord... <coughs> all your trust. You make the Lord your only trust. So as the skydiver sits in their seat on the plane, it's easy for them to say that they have trust in the parachute that they're about to put on. But for as long as they remain in the aeroplane, they're also putting their trust in lots of other things too. They're trusting in the aeroplane. They're trusting in the guy or woman at the front holding on to the stick thing. They're trusting in air traffic control to keep them from bumping into somebody else up there. But if they're going to make that jump, there has to be a significant shift. If they're going to make the jump, they have to make one thing their 
trust and strap it on. It's kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, isn't it? That's what thrill-seekers do. Most of the time, we spread and minimise the risk as thinly as we can, covering all the bases. But thrill-seekers, they raise the stakes. They put all their eggs in one basket. That's what skydivers do as they leap out the plane with the parachute on. All their eggs in one basket. That's what the freediver does as they hold their breath and sink beneath the waves, relying only upon their ability to hold their breath. All their hope, their entire life, their future, for the skydiver placed fairly and squarely on this thing flapping above their heads in the breeze. Now, I'm not trying to equate Christians with thrill-seekers. Well, not in this church, anyway. That was just by way of illustration of making one thing your trust. One thing. And what I want to ask you with that in mind this evening is not if you trust in God, but whether you have made him your trust just him only him your trust that to all intent and purpose actually you have put all your eggs in a single basket but the basket is the hand of God and that's where it is there in him Isn't that surely what lies behind the joy and the contentment of which the Apostle Paul speaks? Doesn't that light the heart of the blessedness that David is speaking about here in this psalm? Now, you may have many of the things that others in the world possess. You have skills and qualifications like the others. You have a job and a career like the others. You have a home like the others. You have a salary like the others. Some money in the bank like the others. But you don't trust any of these things. And you don't trust them in the sense that you will not go to pieces if the Lord removes any or all of them from you. Because... You've made him your trust, haven't you? Wasn't that what was going on with Job? What is Job trusting in? None of these other things form any part of the foundation upon which you are standing. That's the issue here. They don't form any part of the foundation upon which you stand. You have these things in your life. There is a sense in which you depend upon them day by day. You need the money in the bank to be able to go to the shops and buy the things you need. 
But you know, you know that even if they were withdrawn, there is another source altogether to which you look, from which you draw, and upon which you rely. Because God is your trust. Does that describe you? Or does this help to explain, perhaps, why you still have so many and such deep fears and anxieties? And why you place so much weight upon the things of this world? Or why you still permit yourself to be taken up with them to such a degree? Because you can say that you trust in the Lord but you haven't yet learned to make the Lord your trust. Blessed is that man and woman is the promise of God's word for you. And then David goes on, doesn't he? Do not respect the proud or such as turn aside to lies. Give no respect to the proud. I found it quite interesting that David mentions these two things. If you read Proverbs in chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, you read these words. These six things the Lord hates, then the writer corrects himself. Yes, seven are an abomination to the Lord. And what are the first two things? that are recorded, that are an abomination to God, that God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue. Pride and deceit are the first two things in the list, and they're the two things that David mentions here. What is it about the proud? Well, the thing with the proud is they trust in themselves. It's the complete opposite of what's just been stated. It's the exact opposite. The proud have a reliance upon self. And that will be the cause of their downfall. Because their reliance upon themselves and their pride in themselves is what will stop them from making the Lord their trust. It's holding them back from believing the way they need to believe on Christ. They can't make the Lord their trust. They won't make the Lord their trust. They don't think they need to. And even if they were somewhat persuaded, they're too proud to. Here's a quote. Who do you think may have said this? Have a listen. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever known. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts 
that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or, and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Who was that? Recent? Could be. That was President Abraham Lincoln in 1863. Too proud. Too proud to pray. Too proud to remember who all these glorious benefits have come from. Too proud to remember. Too proud to thank him. Too proud to praise him. Do not let the proud have undue influence on your life. Do not emulate them. Do not follow their example. Do not desire to be like them. Or else you will be. How can you be one who has made God your trust and have your foot in the camp of the proud at the same time? How does that work? How could that work? Making God your trust requires a meekness and a humility which the proud will scoff at. You'll only know constant frustrations born out of compromise in your Christian life if you don't understand this warning in the scriptures here beware of the proud have nothing to do with them they have no part or place in the life of a Christian and then he says give no respect to the deceitful well that probably seems kind of obvious but the fact is there are many in the church today who are abandoning wholesale huge tracts of biblical truth They've lost faith in God's word. And they listen more to other voices than they do to God's voice. They seek to mould the word to the world. When it should be the word that is moulding their world. You see, making the Lord your trust requires that you take him at his word. Making the Lord your trust means that God will work according to his nature, his ways, his purposes and his truth as he's revealed them in the Bible and that you must walk in them. You can't say that you've made the Lord your trust and then reject or blatantly misinterpret or reinterpret all the things that he's said. What kind of trust is that? All my trust is in you, O Lord, but I don't agree with this or this or this or this, and so I'm going to change it. That's no trust. And in closing, I need to point out that these verses point us to Christ. And they do so in two main ways. First of all, these verses are a description of Christ and how he lived. 
read through the Gospels, and the Gospel of John in particular, because it's particularly clear in John's Gospel, and again and again you discover the man Christ Jesus making God his Father his trust. I'm here to do the Father's will. And I'm completely trusting in my Father. Perhaps the ultimate example in the Garden of Gethsemane, where broken, broken and weeping, he declares, not my will, but yours. The Lord was his trust. That's what it means to make God your trust. Not me, but you. Not my will, but your will. Read of Christ's confrontations with the religious leaders of his day. The scribes, the Pharisees mainly. Men who had pride and self-righteousness oozing out of their pores. Read of his reliance upon the truth of God's word. Read of how Christ's life stands in stark contrast to the deceitfulness of all around him who would have him killed and gone. There's no cozying up to such people with Christ. There's no respect given to them. Compassion for their lost state, most certainly, but no respect. Prepared to sit down and have a meal with them, yes, but he always made it very clear that there was a vast gulf between them and him. And he openly confronted them over the deceitfulness of their teaching. The people remarked of Christ, didn't they? We've, we've never heard a preacher like this man. We've never heard teaching like this teaching. We've never heard anyone with this kind of authority. Why? Because everything he said was the truth. Uncompromising truth. Trusting in his father. And secondly, these, vo these verses point us to Christ. Because it's only in him and through him that you may know and experience this blessing. It's only because of Christ. And it's only through Christ that you can know it. Because you see, it, it, it's Christ who is the object of our trust. It's Christ who is the source of all blessing. As a Christian, you know there is no good thing that acts as merit in God's eyes in me. Nothing. You have nothing to commend you to God. Quite the opposite is true. And the judgment of sinners of which the Bible speaks is indeed exactly what you deserve and you know it. But you see and you know and you declare that Christ, as God's promised saviour, is your only hope. Through him you're saved from God's wrath. Through him you're saved from God's judgment. And so you turn to him, you believe on him, you trust in him alone, as we've just sung. Making the Lord your trust. You give the whole of yourself to him. Offering up your body as a living sacrifice, as Paul puts it. You make Christ your trust and nothing else. You don't need anything else if you've made Christ your trust.
It's all about him. And you see, making the Lord your trust on the one hand and not respecting the proud and the deceitful on the other hand, they're not really two separate things. They're all part of the same thing. Either you're still in the kingdom of this world or you've been translated into his. Either you're still in your sin in this world or you're in Christ and a citizen of heaven. Either you're still running after the ways of this godless age or you're pursuing righteousness and being made holy in Christ. Either you're conforming to the patterns of this world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which will it be? There's a choice to be made this evening. Choose the way of blessing. There's nothing like it. Go and speak to Hazel. She'll tell you. You could have been with me over the last month as I was speaking to Don. As he knew, everything was just ebbing away. He'd have told you. Choose the way of blessing. Make the Lord your trust.